Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Very good. You nailed it this week. That's right. Proud of you. We don't talk about folklore yet. I have so many, like, half-finished. But I feel like we kind of also have. I mean, very briefly in the um, Skimwalker Ranch. Right. That's folklore. Yeah, but I'm like, I really enjoy it. I this, enjoy learning about it. And This is also only episode nine. There's plenty of time for more folklore. Putting a lot of stress on um, myself about the folklore or yeah. lack thereof. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But yeah. I, I just, I love where we're going with it already. Doing I, a great job. I mean, two out, of, two out of eight episodes so far <clears throat> have essentially been mystery slash folklore. So 25%. We're not doing bad. Those are two different categories in my mind. Well, mysterious folklore is... Folklore is mysterious. What are you talking about? It's not that... Kevin. Okay, you know what? We're not going to debate this right now. <laughs> we spend 45 minutes just fighting about this. I'm sure the listeners would love... They would love to hear... A peek into how we argue about uh-huh. really important... These are really important things, These but... Are the important things, honestly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. First things first. What are you drinking tonight? What am I drinking? That's right. I am drinking a simply spiked blueberry lemonade. Wow. Which is uh, me engaging in risky behavior because even one alcoholic beverage makes me a little silly. Mm-hmm. So look out, everybody. Well, that's fun. I want to <laughs> try that flavor. I haven't tried that one yet. Do you want to try it right Can now? I? Yeah. yeah, I do. What I'm are you drinking? It. I... I'm drinking simply spiked signature lemonade. Lemonade. Mm. So it's they don't sponsor us, but we're, we're trying to get them. Please. To. <laughs> mm. What do you think? Oh yeah, that's good. Do I not like the keep the swallowing in the microphone. Nobody wants to hear the gulp. Gulp. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know that. Maybe they do. Uh, what do you think, listeners? Do you want to hear the gulp? <laughs> <laughs> Little silly. Little silly. All right, my love. Do you have a feel-good fact for us today before you crush us? I do. Okay, so today's feel-good fact is that all of the sweaters worn by Mr. Rogers on his show were knit for him by his mother, except for two. Oh. Which, if that's not sweet and precious enough, the two that were knit for him that were not 
made by his mother were made by single moms. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that like so heartwarming? Just a sweet little gift that he got from a single mom. I think it was, it, I'm not sure if it was two different single moms or a single mom, but two of the sweaters that Either he. Either way, that's really sweet. Yeah. And he wore them on his show. Yeah. I have about 65 Mr. Rogers facts <laughs> for feel good facts. So just like scatter them about our episode. Everybody has a lot of opinions and like a lot of feelings about Mr. Rogers, like across generations, which I think is something that makes him super unique. Yeah. So yeah, that's well, the feel good fact. That was an excellent feel good fact. Now I need an, I want a little sweater knit by someone that I, that loves me. Kevin's mom, get on it. <laughs> Knit me a whole sweater. Anyway. <laughs> All right. What do you got for us today? All right. So this week I picked a story that's been fascinating to me since I first learned about it years ago. There's a lot of debate and dispute and very little closure on this story, hmm. but it's so baffling that I had to dig into it and tell it for myself. So here's your weekly disclaimer that there are themes in this episode that might be upsetting for some people. Hmm. Namely, there's a bit more of like a graphic crime scene that I'll kind of have to explain with this one. And there are a few brief moments that mention a sexual assault. So that's your heads up. Mm. Uh, this week I'm talking about the lady of the dunes. Mm. So buckle up Kev. Cause this one's a doozy. All right, here we go. All right. On July 26, 1974, 12 year old Leslie Metcalf was returning to the dune shack that she had been staying in with her family in Provincetown, Massachusetts. The family had been out exploring Cape Cod and hiking together. When they were walking through the dunes at Race Point Beach to head back to their shack, a dog who'd been like casually hanging out with the family for the day kind of ran off, hmm. off the path and sort of off in a different direction, barking sort of like urgently and like something was up. Oh, weird. So Leslie decided to run ahead of her parents so she could follow the dog. Mm -hmm. And that's when she discovered what it was barking at. There in a small area of scrub pines surrounded by tall grass was what appeared to have been a dead deer. When she got closer, she discovered that what she had stumbled upon was not a dead deer, but actually the naked decomposing body of a woman. Oh. Poor kid walking up and seeing that. But Leslie, I feel like her and I would like be friends. Yeah. Cause she calmly called for her parents. Every, everywhere <laughs> that I read said that she was pretty much just like, uh, yeah. Mom, dad, <laughs> you might want to come take a look at this. So it's kind of weird. So Leslie calmly called for her parents and they all took off back to their dune shack to call the nearby Rangers. But while there were many notable things about the body and the location of the body itself, nobody was quite prepared for the mystery that was only just beginning to mm. unfold. So first, let's talk about the body itself. So like I said, the body belonged to a woman. She was approximately five foot, six inches tall, athletic in build, and somewhere around 145 pounds. And she was somewhere between the ages of 20 and 40. So oh. I know that's a pretty broad range. Yeah, but there, are, Yeah, yeah, just, you know, casual two decades. But there are reasons why identifying the age of the body was difficult. I'll get into that in just a second. She was laying on one side of a green beach blanket with her head resting face down on a folded pair of Wrangler jeans and a blue bandana. She had reddish auburn hair that was pulled back in a ponytail with like a gold sparkly elastic band, mm. and she had pink painted toenails. 
Investigators estimate that she had been laying in that position for anywhere from between 10 days to three weeks. Oh. And they estimate that due to the state of decomposition, which is, that's pretty much the reason why it was hard to definitively pinpoint an age. Right. So I'm going to take a few minutes to describe some of the oddities and specifics about the body. So hang on, because it is going to get more graphic here. Okay. So the injuries were rough. One of the first notable injuries was a severe wound to the side of her head that was so deep that it nearly crushed the left side of her skull. Oh, wow. They claimed the injury was consistent with being struck by a tool with a flat, wide head, like a shovel, or what they later decided was most likely a military entrenching tool. And they believe that this was the injury that had killed her. Investigators assume that this was the weapon for a few reasons. But I'd just like to point out that the only people in the area who would carry an entrenching tool would most likely be someone in the military or someone who drives a dune buggy to patrol the area. So like a ranger or some other type of beach staff Hmm. or somebody who had rented a vehicle for the day. Her throat and neck had been so severely crushed that she was nearly decapitated. Investigators believe this wow. was due to being brutally strangled multiple oh. times. Like it took like multiple attempts to strangle her. So it's very oh, vicious. Yeah. Both of her hands and one of her forearms had been removed, likely to conceal her identity. So like hand, oh, fingerprints yeah. are gone yep. and yep. potentially maybe there was like a tattoo or something identifiable mm-hmm. right. on the arm. Those were removed. So luckily the little girl, Leslie, who had found the body, didn't see or couldn't tell that she had been murdered and like disfigured, which okay. is, I just wanted to yeah, add that. Good. That didn't like, I mean, it haunts her, but not from like seeing something super right. graphic. Right. She said it looked like someone was sunbathing, sort of like in a push up position, hmm. just like nude sunbathing, which wouldn't be that uncommon in that sort of area because she was kind of like concealed right. by the grass that was around her. Okay. So this one's weird, but all of her teeth minus the ones with dental work had been removed. Oh, The remaining teeth had very specific and extensive dental work on them. Namely, she had between, they estimate between five and $10,000 worth of golden crowns. They refer to her dental work as being done in the New York style. Oh, Which is, I'm assuming that means the golden crowns are New York style. I actually don't know what that means. Right. Um, But there were also signs of postmortem sexual assault with an object, which is really terrible. Yeah. Really terrible. So- Due to the fact that there were no signs of a struggle on or near the body, police actually believed that the victim must have either known her killer. Maybe she was like laying next to someone Mm -hmm. because she was on one side of the beach towel. Right. And uh, there was like a whole empty space and the sand was totally undisturbed or that she was asleep when she died. So she didn't have time to react if she was just like laying there sunbathing and, you know, taking a little beachside snooze before being ambushed. Mm. So, yeah, like I said, if she did, in fact, know her killer, given the fact that her beach blanket was not bunched up mm-hmm. at all. Right. Uh, it was laid flat and undisturbed. Maybe she'd been sleeping alongside of someone she knew or trusted. Right. And yeah. So yeah. it is also possible due to the fact that the body was laying the way that it was, that the victim was killed somewhere else and then moved to this location where she may have been posed Mm. like she was sunbathing in the nude. Right. So along with the myriad of brutal and strange injuries was the way that she was positioned and where she was left. Even though the dunes themselves are super vast, I read that they're like 8,500 acres of dunes 
in Cape Cod National Seashore. That's a fun word. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like huge. The body of this woman was left in a decently trafficked area, only yards away from like a path and only a mile away from a ranger station. Hmm. There are some discrepancies here, but some sources say that there were two sets of footprints that came somewhat near to the body, but not all the way up to it. And then other sources say there's size 10 prints that appeared to have been running away from the body. I'm not sure which it is, which one it is, but hmm. either way. About 50 yards from the body was a set of tire tracks as well. But other than that, the ground near the body was undisturbed. Interesting. Yes. So it's very interesting to think about how she's laying there, almost posed, and the whatever happened to her was obviously very vicious, very brutal. Yeah. But then everything else is just totally normal. Right. It's almost like she she either would have had to be placed there mm-hmm. by a floating specter mm-hmm. <laughs> or I mean someone just took great care to not leave any tracks I mean, unless the, it's the size 10. Right. You know. You also got to factor in like winds, moving sand around, all that kind of stuff. But her blanket being as like peaceful as it was, it wasn't twisted or bunched or anything. Right. There seemed to be no, no real indication that anybody else had been there, you know, which is why a lot of people do think that she was killed somewhere else and then posed in the way that she was posed. So then she could have been posed that same day instead of being posed sitting there for three weeks. Right. So first on the scene was Ranger James Hankins, who noted that like where her hands should have been, they were shoved into the sand to hide the fact that they'd been removed Mm. and that they were surrounded by pine needles. Somebody like piled up pine needles around like the perimeter of her severed wrist and then her severed arm. Yeah. Yeah. And he also agreed that it looked like she was doing pushups with the way that she was positioned. He was one of those people who made the initial assumption that she was asleep when she was attacked and killed. Hmm. Hankins called the Provincetown chief of police at the time, Chief Jimmy Meads, at his home and told him that he better come out right away. Thankfully, because this isn't always the case in these sorts of situations, Meade made this case pretty much his number one goal in life. Hmm. Like, I got to solve this crime. Yeah. Any resource that he could think of to tap into, he did. I'm going to talk more about that as this goes on, but Meads and an additional 30 investigators and bloodhounds spent days combing over the area where the victim was found, as well as a more broad search of the beaches on the Cape, and they found quite literally nothing. Hmm. No evidence, nothing tying anyone to the victim or the crime. So that's a bummer. Yeah. So the investigation was then focused on identifying the victim Mm -hmm. so that they could then narrow down a list of potential suspects. So this is where the story starts getting weird and like frustrating. So despite Provincetown being a tight-knit community, there seemed to be no local ties to the victim. The first route that they took in trying to identify her was to send out images of her extensive, specific dental work to every dentist in Massachusetts. So she had those New York style crowns or whatever, which is unique and memorable enough that if they were able to get the images to the right, into the right hands, it would be pretty easy to match dental records uh, to the images. They also had them published into two different dental journals 
And they also distributed them to major agencies like the FBI and to law enforcement up in Canada. This turned up nothing. What? I know. I know. It's so crazy. Yeah. So one thing that the dental work did reveal, though, is that due to the sheer cost and quality of the work, it's highly unlikely that this woman was like a transient. Right. They also checked the contents of her stomach, and they found that she had eaten a burger and fries shortly before she had been killed, which means that sometime in the last 10 days to three weeks, she'd most likely stopped at a local restaurant right. near yeah. the place that she was found. Yeah. But this also led to nothing. They're They're really trying to think of the smallest thing, you right. know, that they can what, use to yeah. connect her to somebody, somebody, right. something, so, you know, something has to tell, be a tell for where this person was and who might know who she is. Remember seeing her or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. So decomposition and injuries aside, she did appear to have been well taken care of, like with her pink painted toenails and her well-kept hair and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Which like thinking about that mm-hmm. is pretty baffling. How could there be nobody who knew her and missed her? Right. Like she looked like someone who was physically fit, well-kept. She was sort of like the the Wrangler jeans and the blue bandana were really in mm-hmm. at that time. So like she was sort of trendy and fashionable. And like on their own, those things don't really mean anything. But putting all of the information together that they had gathered at that point, I really don't get how nobody had reported her missing. Right. No friends, no partner, no siblings, no parents, no like no place of work. Yeah. So it's just very strange. So as I mentioned earlier, law enforcement believed that the use of the military entrenchment tool was the most likely explanation for the injury to her head. So Hankins pointed this out because the injury on her head was pretty consistent with as I explained earlier, like a blunt, flat object. Right. But also the removal of her hands had to have been done with something pretty sharp. Mm. Uh, And the military entrenchment tool, I learned, this is new information to me, is kind of like multi-use. It's meant to be able to be like folded up. You can unfold it. You can make it into a hoe. It's made with like uh, steel or titanium. So it's got like pretty sharp edges. Yeah. Um, It's a pretty likely potential weapon. Right. So uh, I also kind of brought it up already too about the dune buggy out on the dunes. 100% of the buggies would have them inside. Mm. So it's also standard issue for military personnel and is a very common tool carried by like avid campers since it's collapsible and it can be transformed into different tools. So there's enough, there are enough different kinds of people that could have that kind of a tool at their disposal. So it does not help <laughs> that specifically doesn't help narrow down any suspect list really a whole lot. It seems like, no, it's like, it might not be the most common tool here, but it's a very common tool out there. Right. Yeah. So while this tool was, was common, this did give investigators at least a little bit more of a focus. Cause really they're just grasping at anything. Right. What can we, <laughs> what can we follow up on? You know? So they, could then at least focus on people who would have access to these tools or might regularly use them. So I can't move on without making this point. Given the fact that this area is super hot in the summertime, the decomposition on the body was pretty severe. Because of this, it was pretty much impossible for investigators to piece together any super concise timeline of events. 
which is why they said she'd likely been dead for anywhere between 10 days and three weeks. So I watched an interview where this crime writer named Sandra Lee had some interesting things to say. Side note is that if it's the same Sandra Lee that I'm thinking of, I've actually read one of her books already for a different episode and I, it's not relevant, but I was like, (laughs) Oh, I actually think I've read one of your books, which is crazy. So anyways, Sandra says that she had spent her summer frequenting the dunes in Provincetown. She said that one day when she was nine years old, she was walking her dog on the dunes when she was hit with a terrible smell. So we're landlocked here, so we can't relate super hard to this, (laughs) but apparently it's not abnormal for beaches to be smelly, but she said it was like really bad. Hmm. Then she heard the sound of what she described as like the sound of a pearl necklace rattling. She looked around a little bit and claimed that that's when she herself had seen the Lady of the Dunes, but she was super freaked out, so she ran away and didn't tell anybody what she had seen. She Mm. makes an interesting case about this. She said that it's very common for kids to spend all summer, you know, running around every square inch of the dunes, having great adventures with their friends. So it's possible that many people could have possibly stumbled upon the body and were also too freaked out to report it, especially if they were kids. Oh, yeah. It's not impossible that other people saw the body. Well, it's kind of like there's there's that movie. What is is it? Uh, Stand By Me? Mm-hmm. I was thinking of Stand By Me. Yeah. Everybody was talking about Everybody was talking the body. about it, yeah. but like it was never, it's been so long since I've seen that movie, but it was like not like a commonly commonly enough known thing that law enforcement knew about it. Like, all these mm-hmm. kids knew about it. Right. And that was it. Right. It was kind of like almost an urban legend sort of deal. Right. So, I mean, it doesn't seem to be that out of the question for that to mm-hmm. be maybe not normal, but <laughs> at least plausible, plausible for sure. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so the sound of the pearl necklace rattling, by the way, I couldn't not share this disgusting fact with you. Mm-hmm. That sound was actually the sound of tens of thousands of maggots and other insects going to work on the body. And that's apparently like a very accurate sound that people would use in the world of describing corpses and decomposition in the elements. So if I had to learn that, you have to learn that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Gross. So if I ever hear a pearl necklace out in the wilderness. Just run. I'm just going to, yeah. Scoot your boots the other way. (laughs) Yeah. So moving on. Detectives worked tirelessly on this case for months with absolutely no leads. They ran her description against missing persons cases around the United States. Nothing, once again. So on October 19th, 1974, roughly three months since the discovery of her body, the victim was buried in a grave at St. Peter's Cemetery with a grave marker that read, quote, unidentified female body found Race Point Dunes, July 26th, 1974, End quote, Mm. which is really sad. That is a very uh, sobering. Yes. Very sad. Yeah. So one thing that I did see was that Leslie Metcalf, the little girl who found the body, her younger sister, Alyssa Metcalf, has actually done a few interviews over the years. And she said that her and her family have always felt like a connection to the Lady of the Dunes. So they actually go visit her gravesite, which is sweet. That is sweet. But yeah. So as I'm sure you've guessed by this point, the case went cold for some time. Hmm. But Chief Meads felt so strongly about solving this particular case that he never really stopped working on it. He actually said that he didn't want to retire until they figured out who this woman was, what happened to her, and who killed her. Wow. 
Yeah. That's dedication. He was very dedicated to this case. I'll give both of my thumbs up to Chief Meads. So in 1980, the body of the woman was exhumed so that they could take blood samples. They also used this exhumation, which is a fun word, as a chance to take a cast of her skull so that they could make a composite of it and attempt to do some like facial reconstruction drawings. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yes. So they did this and they sent photos of the reconstruction all around the country. This once again turned up nothing. Dang. Somehow. So in 1987, a Canadian woman came forward with an odd claim. She told investigators that she fears that the Lady of the Dunes may have actually been a victim of her father's. Oh, okay. Yeah. She claimed that she had witnessed her father strangle a young woman while they were visiting Provincetown at some point in the 1970s. She said that the photo of the lady's reconstructed face reminded her of the face of the woman that she saw her father kill. Whoa. Which is horrible. This poor woman, if she's telling the truth... You carry Oof. that for decade, right. like almost at that point, it had been almost 15 years. Right. Crazy. So the investigators that had taken the woman's statement took down her information mm-hmm. and passed it along to Meads, who personally followed up on it. Wow. But because there's always a but in this case, when Meads went to contact her to follow up, the woman had moved homes and they were never able to get in contact with her again. And she also never reached back out or got back in contact with them like on her own either. So they also didn't have enough information from her to follow up any further. Oh, come on. <laughs> and I looked, I couldn't even find this lady's name anywhere. It was mm. always just Canadian woman. So uh, there's another frustrating dead yeah. end. How do you not get that information when someone calls in that sort of I think claim? that they they had the information, but they never like, never released it. I don't think they ever released it. I I didn't see it. If anybody mm. else knows who this guess, lady is, yeah. some people have said, what if her dad found out and killed her? Wow. Or like, what if her dad had like connections who found out that yeah. she had reached out and either threatened her into being silent or killed her? That's kind of like, sounds a little bit tinfoil hat, but right. like That's at the same time, it's very, crazier things have happened. <laughs> that was a very extreme speculation. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just the thought of, of, Someone being like, I have a potential answer to this. It's been held on to for this long. Right. Yeah. I mean, why, why that isn't any more unreasonable than really anything else. Yeah. Especially in this story. Right. Oh, it gets crazier. It's so frustrating, man. So the frustrating dead end is kind of the theme of this whole case. I'm not sure when this happened, but a Maryland woman came forward and said that her sister had moved to Boston in 1974 and that her family hadn't heard from her since. Oh. We do have to keep in mind that this was a different time. Mm-hmm. People would just relocate and not reach out you know, to their families or friends for chunks of time. People would hitchhike or maybe like right. bunk with a random new friend that they made until they got settled in. Mm. Um. So when this woman's family hadn't heard from her for a while, they initially weren't concerned, so they didn't reach out immediately. So this woman insisted that the descriptions and reconstructions being shared matched her sister's description. Hmm. So Meads followed up on this tip, but of course, the dental records did not match, and so this was another dead end. In Meads' time on this case, he received literally thousands upon thousands of tips from the public 
with somewhere around 50 being worthy of actually following up on. Hmm. So Meads talked with a lot of people sure. and followed up on any lead that he thought made sense to follow up on. He got calls from parents who were missing their daughters, that sort of thing. He even followed up on a tip that a psychic gave him, telling hmm. him that she'd seen dripping water and severed hands that had been buried. He went to where she told him to go, and it led him to a bar. I wish I would have written it down, but somewhere on the Cape that had dripping water from like the side of the building. Hmm. He went into the basement, and the floor had just had new concrete poured, so he couldn't excavate. So that one was really weird. And it is it weird. does make you wonder. There's, As we do more of these, you'll see anytime a psychic reaches out, most of the time it's unhelpful at best. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, it's like, how did they know that? Yeah. Every once in a while. But most of the time it's like, okay, hey, you're making this worse. Mm. Yeah. You're making this harder. But I thought that one was interesting enough is, to at least yeah, share. Yeah, for sure. So Meads wanted to keep the Lady of the Dunes on the forefront of his mind. So he actually put one of the composite reconstructions of her skull on his desk as a reminder to keep trying his best to give her her name back. Hmm. Just like a little bit morbid, but also like I admire. Yeah. In a nice way. (laughs) Like he sees it and thinks of her, like we got to give her justice, you know, or at least give her her name. It would be nice if we could stop calling her the lady of the dunes. Right. But sadly, chief Meads retired in 1992 Mm. He passed on not only the title of Provincetown Chief of Police, but also the deep-seated passion for the case of the Lady of the Dunes. Mm. Literally everything that I've read about this case has said that since Meads was chief, every chief since him has kept the Lady of the Dunes case as front and center as they possibly and like reasonably can. Wow. Which is good. They, yeah. really, they really want to figure out who this woman is. So with the advancements made in the world of forensics, her body was exhumed again in 2000. Wow. They took a bone fragment and ran it against a potential lead. This one's crazy. Oh. They ran a bone fragment from the Lady of the Dunes against the DNA of an extremely interesting character named Rory Jean Kessinger. Okay. So Kessinger was a woman with a troubled childhood that led to her eventually getting involved with some seedy people. For 10 or so years, Kessinger engaged in kind of like a party lifestyle, which is fine, no big deal. Right. But it's alleged that she also robbed multiple banks under at least five (laughs) different aliases as well. So, like, put those two things together, maybe not the most helpful. Sure. So, in 1973, at the age of 24, Kessinger was seen running from her home in Pembroke, Massachusetts, by an officer who'd knocked on her door to serve her with a traffic warrant. Hmm. So Kessinger had taken off from the house in only lingerie. The officer, uh, Lieutenant Bolter, caught up to her after she tripped over a rock. He asked her why she had been running. She told him she'd been sexually assaulted and had been trying to flee from her attacker. So Lieutenant Bolter, this is weird, but he brought her back to his house until backup could come, Hmm. which feels weird to me. Maybe it's not weird, but I feel like that's really sketchy and I don't like it. That's you got a mostly today. naked 20 yeah. something woman who just claimed she was assaulted and you take her to your house. So I'm hoping that I just like read that wrong or, or the source know, got I that mean, wrong. Cause 1974 that's, was maybe a, just a different time. I don't know. Still weird <laughs> to me. So <laughs> anyway, he brought her there so he could call for backup and re- get the assault like recorded mm-hmm. while they were back at Bolter's home. The light suddenly went out. 
When the lights came back on, there was Rory, who had snatched Bolter's gun and was pointing it directly at him. She told him, I'm sorry, but I have to kill you. Bolter wrestled the gun away from her and brought her to the hospital, where she stole another officer's gun and threatened to kill everyone, which is like, she she was just living her life. She did not want to get arrested. She had stuff to do. Wow. Yeah. These events are what led to her being arrested and sent to the Plymouth County Jail, where she awaited trial on two counts of assault with an attempt to murder. But going to trial wasn't something that Kessinger felt like doing. So, (laughs) on May 26th, 1973, using a hacksaw that someone smuggled in for her, Kessinger cut her way out of the barred cell. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. She kind of sounds awesome. (laughs) Kind of want to be friends with her. (laughs) And she used sheets that she'd tied together to, like, suspend and make her escape. This is, yeah. She hopped into a getaway car (laughs) that had been waiting for her, and that was that. So, this is where it gets crazy. After her escape, nobody that we know of ever saw her again. So could Rory Kessinger be the Lady of the Dunes? Think about it for a second. Yeah. Not only does the timeline add up really well, but she was connected with a lot of people who were involved in some pretty serious stuff. Right. Like it's said that she may have even been connected to the mafia in Boston, which I'll talk more about the mafia later, believe it or not. (laughs) And if she was, in fact, with the wrong people after her escape, they could have not wanted law enforcement on their trail, so they could have killed her. Right. And since she'd recently been fingerprinted with her most recent arrest, law enforcement would have her in their records, so the removal of her hands would also make sense. Mm. Not only that, but she also looked a lot like the reconstructions. And she matched the physical descriptions that they were able to obtain with, like, the height, weight, Uh build, and all of that. So, she seemed like a decently reasonable fit. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, when she was brought to the Provincetown Police Department's attention, they all immediately thought that this was a lead worth following up on. Right. So, that's when the Lady of the Dunes was exhumed to get the bone fragment. Got it. This whole process took a few years, just as a sidebar. So police were able to obtain a DNA sample from Kessinger's mother and run it against the bone fragment. And not a match. Dang it. I know. I know. So around the same time that police were following up on the Rory Kessinger lead, another man would actually confess to the murder. A convicted murderer by the name of Haddon Clark insisted that he was the one who had killed the Lady of the Dunes but that he wouldn't tell authorities her name because they had been mean to him. (laughs) He did offer them some more information, though. So Clark had been convicted of two murders. The murder of 23-year-old Laura Hotelling. Mm -hmm. And I hate this so much. I hate this so much. Six-year-old Michelle Dorr, which landed Clark in prison with two back-to-back sentences. And it was here where he'd tell police that he was responsible for at least a dozen more murders. Oh. And that he had buried bodies and the trophies he had kept in his grandfather's garden on the Cape. What? And he claimed that evidence linking him to the Lady of the Dunes were in the garden as well. Some sources I saw said that he claimed her hands were there, but I can't verify that. So I hate this guy. Yeah. This is the guy I was yelling at as I was typing last night while you were hanging out on the couch (laughs) and I was yelling. Yeah. It's this guy. He's the worst. So anyways, on December 15th, 2000, Clark led police to his grandparents' former property where they dug up the garden and lo and behold, they found a bucket 
with nearly 200 pieces of jewelry, the trophies I had mentioned, including the high school ring of Laura Hotelling, one of the victims Mm -hmm. that I mentioned. So the trouble is that they didn't find anything that they could definitively say belonged to the Lady of the Dunes because they don't know who she is. Right. Clark's confession would soon be written off. So Clark actually suffered from paranoid schizophrenia and would often make outlandish claims that were like verifiably untrue. Mm. And he was known for leading people on wild goose chases. So again, the case went cold. Oh, yeah. I still think it's possible that he did it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people believe that he was at least somewhat telling the truth. So I feel like yeah. this is at least a strong potential theory. So does he have any ties to the bar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows, man? That'd be, that'd be the first place I would want. I would go to look is, do you know this guy? And they would probably say no, but right. In right. the off chance. Side note that I feel like is important. I feel like people tend to take mental illnesses like paranoid schizophrenia and sensationalize them and almost turn people who suffer from illnesses like these into like a sort of horror movie Mm. caricature, which I think is unfair. And I don't want to like play that game. I felt kind of like gross being like, well, he had paranoid schizophrenia, so they didn't believe anything that he said. Right. Like that didn't feel right to me. So I'm just throwing it out there that, uh, diagnosis of a mental illness is not the sole determining factor on the trajectory of someone's life Mm -hmm. or their like trustworthiness or character. This guy did awful things that I wish that I didn't know about. I wish I hadn't looked into all the stuff that he did. It's terrible, (sighs) but there were a lot of factors at play with this guy specifically. So I had to throw that out there. Sure. Uh, Let's keep going. In 2013, Her body was exhumed for the third time to obtain more DNA samples, but this once again led to nothing. This case is still open. This woman is still left unnamed and unclaimed, which is heartbreaking. And her murderer or murderers, who knows, still remains a mystery. There are a few theories that people have about her that I'll share, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So the first and very popular theory is that this woman may have had ties to the legendary boss of the Irish mafia in Boston from the 1970s through the 1990s, James Whitey Bulger. Hmm. They just called him Whitey Bulger. Yeah. So he'll probably get his own episode at some point. So I'm not going to talk about him too much here. The need to knows on Whitey Bulger is that he was and is well known for his work in the world of organized crime in the Boston area. Yeah. He was also known to conceal the identities of those that he murdered by pulling their teeth out. Yeah. Turns out Whitey Bulger was actually in Provincetown in 1974, frequenting a bar called the Crown and Anchor in the, in the area. And multiple people claim that they saw him with a woman matching the description of the lady of the dunes in the summer of 1974. Yeah. The theory is that the lady of the dunes was an Irish immigrant who somehow got involved in one of Whitey's many exploits Mm-hmm. Specifically, people believe that she was trafficked by Whitey because he was also apparently involved in sex trafficking. Oh, jeez. Sandra Lee, the author that I talked about earlier, said that her family was connected to Whitey Bulger at mm-hmm. the time. Like she called him Uncle Jimmy, oh, which weird. is weird. And wow. that she herself remembers seeing a woman with him who resembles the composite sketches of the Lady of the Dunes and that she's 100% certain that he was in Provincetown that year as well. Yeah. So that's interesting. She also points out that the injuries on the body are very similar to another murder that Bulger was connected to as well. Hmm. 
i.e. the teeth being pulled out to avoid identification mm-hmm. and the violent strangulation. So wow. Whitey actually lived most of his life just doing his thing out in the world, but he was convicted of 11 murders at the age of 89. Jeez. They believed he committed way more than 11. Oh, yeah. But they got him on 11, at least. At least that's something. <laughs> something. So once he was sent to prison, he was actually beaten to death in an act of like prison justice by a group of angry inmates. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Just well, pause for that one for a second. Yeah. I, most of the time when I see like prison justice, most of the time I'm giving thumbs up because it's most of the time like pedophiles and like nasty people. I'm like, eh, well, had it coming. Like, <laughs> but this one actually sucks because, because he was killed before they could tie him to other crimes. Oh, yeah. They couldn't really ask him about the lady of the dunes. Do you know who this is? Or any of the right. other crimes that right. they believed he was part of. So prison justice in this case uh, potentially blocked Mm -hmm. other justice from happening. Yeah. 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 So the last theory that we'll talk about, which is my favorite one, was actually brought to light in 2015 by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill. Interesting. Joe Joe Hill's an author, I learned. So in a blog post, Joe speculates that the Lady of the Dunes can be seen as an extra in the 1975 mega hit movie, Jaws. What? Hear me out. Okay. Okay. The movie was filmed in May of 1974. Right. In Martha's Vineyard, Uh which is only 100 miles away from Provincetown. Sure. Joe Hill had taken his kids to a 40th anniversary screening of Jaws, and when this extra appeared on the screen with her Wrangler jeans and blue bandana, she jumped out of the screen at him, and he wondered if maybe this extra was actually the Lady of the Dunes. (laughs) So, like, crazy, a little fanciful, but I'm still going. Yeah, okay. So here's the trouble with this theory. Sure. The Jaws production team welcomed a ton of locals, pretty much anybody, to be part of production or to be extras. So because of this massive amount of extras, they didn't record the names of anybody who showed up. Right. The screen director, Carl Gottlieb, uh, I hope I said that right, he even went and looked back at the production notes for this specific scene that this extra is visible in, and though he could pinpoint the exact location and date that it was filmed, Mm -hmm. May 25th, 1974, there was no list of names for investigators to comb over in an attempt to follow up on this lead. It is pretty fanciful, obviously, but the woman in that scene and in the composite sketch do look crazy similar. Hmm. A retired investigator, Staff Sergeant Warren Tobias, agreed that there is a definite similarity, but also points out that the woman in the scene and the Lady of the Dunes were both dressed in the same trendy style right. as hundreds of thousands of other beachgoers right. in 1974. <laughs> yeah. So it's most likely coincidental. Yeah. Hill himself did also say, quote, part of me thinks that my subconscious mind is so programmed, so trained to quickly generate ghost stories that that's all I've done here, mm. end quote. It's interesting. Fair. And I mean, what if he is right, though? Yeah. How nuts would that be? But with no way to track it and no woman coming forward to say that she was actually the extra, this theory is pretty much impossible to actually investigate Mm. any further. So we're coming up on 50 years of this case being unsolved. Wow. Without a more definitive timeline or really any actual helpful details at all, solving this crime has proven to be impossible so far. This year in 2022, a documentary came out that investigates the case. I haven't watched it yet, but it seems to be the most recent development that I could find. Yeah. So Provincetown police encourage anyone with a possible lead 
that they should reach out and contact them so they can finally put a name to this woman and hopefully figure out what happened to her. They're optimistic that with the many advancements in forensics, maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to crack the code. Mm -hmm. But until that day, she will remain the mysterious Lady of the Dunes. Wow. And that's what I have for you today. Wow. That is, wow. That's a very, yeah, you you said it was frustrating. It is frustrating. It's not as frustrating as like people regularly making the wrong decision out of two or (laughs) uh, planting evidence as we've heard in other cases. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's frustrating in the way that like, oh, anybody who could know just hasn't. Yeah. Hasn't come forward. Mm-hmm. I'm man in 50 years. Oh, that's yeah. really, that's really hard and a shame. Well, cause it's like in some ways, the further we get away from the case, the harder it's going to be because we lose factors like her body's like continuing to decompose underground. Right. right. We lose potential relatives. Yeah. We lose, you know, and if, if the Irish immigrant theory specifically is true, mm-hmm. You know, her not communicating with family across the sea isn't that shocking. So they could just think that she was always fine and her family would have never known. Yeah. She just ran off. If that's true. Yeah. So like on one hand, there's the, we're getting, we might be getting too far away Mm -hmm. to be able to figure things out. But then on the other hand, we've got things like, like ancestry DNA that like, if people think that they might be connected, you can trace back generations now, which is pretty wild. Like there are those kinds of advancements yeah. that it's like, that's cool. But it's like, are we ever going to find out who this woman is? Right. Well, I wonder, I, I wonder if maybe someone should just pump her DNA through ancestry. I know. <laughs> through so you whatever, get a hit. 23andMe or whatever. Yeah. And just see, mm-hmm. just see if someone else has put it in, put it in there and get a hit and just yeah see, see what, uh, what comes of that. Yeah, I wonder if they have, that's an interesting. That would be. Uh, they Very, probably have, honestly, I no would, matches. Right. I would anticipate that they probably have, but also it's just, it's just, uh, underground enough mm-hmm. that like, maybe they would say this is too formal of an investigation to mm-hmm. resort to that or, you know, something that would just make them skeptical. But part of me wishes that with the jaws theory specifically that they would bring, they would put out like a big post to everybody who was part of. Yeah part of it yeah. and like part of, or like your family member was part of it. Okay, great. Come to the, yeah, come see this, come to the high school gym and we're going right. to go one by one yeah. and swab everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to swab everyone for DNA. I just wish, I just wish that there was something cause they would get these like really good leads Yeah, and all of them were just dead ends, Yeah, but they were all good leads. They were all good leads. And yeah, I mean, in particular, the one about, um, the, the bone fragment and mm-hmm. Rory just coming up. Nope. Not a match. Oh, yeah. dang. That's like, I know that's so disappointing. Cause that was the RIP Rory. Yeah. She was awesome. Rory, you sure did your best wherever you went. Yeah. Disappeared. No one ever saw her again. I know that she, one really she seemed to be alive. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? It's possible. She could have changed her name. Yeah. She liked changing her name. Yeah. Just be out there. So Rory, if you're listening, please, we would love to have you as a guest. (laughs) We can, we don't have to use your real name. Yeah. And no one has to know that that's actually who you are. We'll just know. Yeah. That'll be our little secret. (laughs) Just between the three of us. (laughs) Well, with that, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Uh, This one ranks high in the unusual category for me. Yeah. That's, 
I would sure. agree. I feel it's very unusual. And uh, maybe I'm a little bit unsettled because if the Boston Mafia hears about this and they know that that we are suspecting them of this, they might come after us. So I'm a little bit unsettled well, on that. It's not the current Boston Mafia. That's true. You know, it's That's like... true. Whatever. Yeah, it's like McDonald's 50 years ago making their hamburgers out of human meat. Right. You know, like... We're going to get sued, Kevin. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get sued. Quit it. (laughs) With that, uh, please, if if you enjoyed this episode and you are not planning on suing us, please subscribe (laughs) and uh, continue to listen to more episodes as they come out. And if you would, please leave a five-star review. It helps uh, other listeners to find this podcast. And it's just uh, nice for us to see your official five-star review up in the little little review box for us to get to see and feel good about. We will have an exciting sort of announcement about spooky season, the upcoming spooky season next week. I will bring it up Mm -hmm. and we'll chit-chat about that together. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, So I wanted to just kind of tease that. That's good. Until then, you can also stay connected by following us on all of our social media platforms. You can follow us on Instagram at this one is a doozy. And TikTok. And TikTok at this one is a doozy. And you can also follow us on Facebook. This one's a doozy podcast. Correct. I feel like I said that with a weird cadence, this, but well, you you're, got you're, it. <laughs> this one's a doozy podcast. Kevin is deprogramming for the That's night. That's it. That's what's happening right now. I am one simply spiked lemonade in, so. <laughs> <laughs> really did you in. It got me good. Um, so yeah, you can follow us on all of our social medias, and you can also send us an email, which is this one is a doozy at gmail.com. And tell us your personal stories or recommendations for someone that you'd like us to look into. We have a good number of recommendations. Yeah, we do. So send us your story or your recommendation because we would just love to hear them. With that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank you. Bye.